Good morning, Polaris. I was reminded in a very uncomfortable way this weekend that I am not 20 years old anymore. I spent the better part of yesterday down at the uh, high school retreat playing which seemed like endless hours of dodgeball, laser tag, and basketball. And man, by the time I got home yesterday, and David could attest to this, he was with me, I could barely get in and out of my car. I woke up this morning, I almost called Alex and said, I don't know, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it today, but, but I am here, so if I'm walking a little bit weird, you'll know why. Oh, man, today, my time up here is a little bit bittersweet. Uh, the reason that it's uh, bitter, this is going to be the last time I'm going to speak to my Polaris family from this stage, and uh, you're talking, what are we, 12 years, 10 years? I mean, that's a long time, and so that part of it's bitter, but... Uh, the reason for that is because we're moving, and, and that's the awesome side of this. Uh, it's not because uh, I'm leaving the church, because that's never going to happen, and uh, hopefully Alex isn't going to stop asking me to, to preach, because I like doing it so much, and I just cannot wait to see uh, what God has in store for us here at Polaris. It's an exciting time, and I'm really, really happy about it. So uh, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, this is the uh, week before the celebration of the reason for our Christian faith. Now, the pinnacle of our beliefs comes to fruition one week from today, and that's the day when we celebrate Christ's victory over death. Amen? Easter's an awesome time for us. And as we prepare for that day, which I hope we do prepare for it, it's, it's a bigger day than our normal Sunday, uh, you know, being Easter. As we prepare for it, I want you to take the time and just, just really breathe deep and realize uh, the incredible sacrifice uh, and the overwhelming display of love uh, that, uh, that God gave to us when he gave his son and sacrificed him on the cross. And uh, we have Bibles here. If you guys want to follow along, we're going to be working in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. And so if you guys want to follow along, the green Bible's at the end of the pew. If you don't have a Bible at home and you need one, it's a gift from Polaris. Please take it home with you. All right, as freely as God gave up his son, he also gives us freedom uh, to, uh, to enjoy the things we have here on earth. But we need to be very cautious of these freedoms. Here in Ohio, and I think in most states, we have the uh, ability to turn right on red at a traffic light. It speeds up our trip. It keeps traffic, traffic moving. However, there are some intersections where we're not allowed to do this, and there are signs that are posted that say, no turn on red. And there's a reason for it, because... They've deemed that to be a dangerous intersection, and if we do make that right turn on red, we could cause a horrible accident and cause pain and suffering to somebody, so we really need to take time and, and pay attention and be aware of those signs. And in our Christian life, we've been given a lot of freedom and liberties as well. And like certain red lights, there are dangerous spots that could cause serious problems between us and our fellow Christians, and we need to pay attention to these signs as well. 1 Corinthians 8, if I could have slide one up on the uh, screen for me, thank you. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6, Paul tells us this. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. 
You see, Paul was completely free to eat the meat that was offered to these idols. He knew that there was only one true God, and he, meant, he knew that all those idols and all those gods meant nothing and were nothing. To Paul, eating meat offered to these idols was simply just eating meat. It wasn't right or wrong to him, but not all believers had those strong convictions. So Paul goes on in verses 7 and 8. Slide 2, please. Verses 7 and 8, Paul tells us, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificed food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. In other words, it was no big deal for Paul to eat the meat that was offered to the idols. And it shouldn't have been a big deal to anybody else that had the knowledge as well. But there were people who were very young and weak in their faith and believed that the meat that was defiled by the idols and that they shouldn't eat that meat. Paul realized that he had to take special care around these young believers. If he ate the meat, it would influence them and it would go against their conscience and his concern for weak believers kept him from exercising the liberty that he had the right to do. And now contrary to popular opinion, as Christians, we're allowed to have fun. We're allowed to enjoy ourselves. We're free to engage in certain social behaviors because they're not specifically banned by the Bible. But there are times when the Holy Spirit needs to work in us and help us refrain from some of these activities for the sake of others. And it's at these times that liberty has to take a back seat to love. Slide three. Paul continues on in Corinthians, verses 9 through 13. Paul says to us, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to the idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. A mature Christian will obey the no turn on red signs to keep a weaker believer from having a bad accident. And Paul explains to us that we are not only responsible for ourselves, but we're responsible for one another. And this falls right into the question that's asked in Genesis 4, which asks us, am I my brother's keeper? And very simply put, yes, you are. In his letter to, to the Corinthians, Paul made it very clear that you are your brother's keeper, and you have a responsibility to look out for your brother's well-being. And we need to recognize that love is more important than our freedom. And that's tough sometimes. Our challenges are very different than they were back in Corinth, and I don't believe any of us are racking our brains on whether or not we should eat the meat that we just sacrificed at our last pagan offering. So that's not the problem that we have in, in today's society. But the more important question that they had in Corinth was, how was the church going to deal with this dilemma that they had? And Paul begins by rebuking the Corinthians' pride and insists that love is more important than knowledge. And then Paul grants them the fact that believers have this knowledge, but such knowledge can easily lead to pride and to ignorance. And Paul puts it like this. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. And that's a pretty cool one-liner, and it wasn't all that cool to me until I had to look up what edify meant. 
So once I did and I found that out, it is pretty cool. Does anybody know what to edify means? To build, right? It's all about uh, encouraging and to improve. And so what, what Paul's saying in a biblical teaching is that our knowledge can make us pompous fools, but showing love encourages and it helps others. The Corinthians that were boasting about their freedom to eat the meat, sacrifice to idols, were acting arrogantly. They didn't show love and respect for their brothers and sisters. And the aim of Christianity should be love and not liberty and freedom, correct? That's a question. Thank you. So the big question that we have here is, do you look down on others because of where you think your biblical knowledge is? Do you feel that you're above them because of what you know? And that can be a danger to Christians. And the Christian life isn't about how much you know, how spiritually strong you are, or how much liberty you have. It's about how much love you have. And one of the dangers of being a mature Christian is that we may be strong in knowledge, but we're weak in love. And Paul is telling us that if we think we're all-knowing, we can be positively sure that we're not. And Paul's also very clear in his message to put love over knowledge. If we read the Bible and we research the Internet and we gather all the facts we possibly can about God, it doesn't make us know God more. Because it's not about our knowledge of God, it's about loving him. If a person loves God and then God loves him in an intimate way because of that love, God will then reveal himself to that person. And it's much more important that God knows us than that we know God. When he knows us intimately, he then lets us know him intimately. And Paul wanted the people of Corinth and all of us to realize that love is more important than our freedoms and our knowledge. But another question we have to think about is whether our freedom could become a stumbling block for our Christian brothers and sisters. Is the things we do, are the things we do, things that can lead our Christian brothers and sisters uh, astray? And if your freedom has become the source of sin for a member of your family, it would be better off if you did not exercise that freedom. And now we're going to take a look at some of the things in today's world that might equate to the uh, worshiping and, and giving uh, the offering the food to the idols in today's day and age. And what are some of those things uh, that we have the chance to participate in that would fall into that category? Some of the things that may have some evil or some idolatry associated with them. A couple of them that I can think of, uh, drinking alcohol, smoking, using drugs, inappropriate TV shows, movies, off-color jokes, sex, gambling. And we're free to do all of these things. We definitely are. But there are limits and rules to our freedoms and our liberties. And some of these things that I just spoke about uh, involve disobedience to God. Some lead us into temptation. Some might cause us to distance ourselves from God. So how do we decide what we should and shouldn't do in our society and in our culture today? And there are a few, few questions we can ask ourselves. One of them is, will your actions help or hinder your relationship with God? If we're known by God, it means that he's with us. And how comfortable are we doing some of these activities and exercising these freedoms and liberties, realizing that God is right there next to us? Would we watch some of the movies that we watch if God was sitting next to us in that movie theater at our house? Would we participate in some of the activities that we do knowing that God is right there next to us? Are you okay with that? Are the things that we're doing possibly going to become a stumbling block for the people that are weaker in their faith than we are? Sometimes we need to modify our behavior in certain situations. 
We may have friends uh, who need greater care because they're still very young in their faith. And there's a very big difference between changing our behavior uh, for care and concern for weaker Christians than being a hypocrite and putting on an act or a show in front of our Christian friends. We shouldn't act all high and mighty when we're around our Christian friends and then live a life of ungodliness when we think nobody's watching us. And at that point, we also need to ask ourselves, will our behavior build others up or is our behavior going to tear others down? Is love the controlling factor of my behavior? Or is it a desire to exercise my freedoms and my liberties? Is it about me or is it about them? And Paul tells us in another good one-liner here, Limit your freedom for the sake of love. And Paul challenges us to look out for our brothers and sisters because we love them and we have their best spiritual interest at heart. Paul also warns us to be careful that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Christ cares more about the weaker brother and sister than he does about your freedom and your liberties. That's a fact. So we need to be careful when we exercise our liberty that we don't become a stumbling block to the weak. And a stumbling block is, it's not something that causes someone to be offended because it's very easy to be offensive. I think I'm probably offensive on a daily basis to a lot of people. That's a self-admission. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Being offensive is actually a pretty easy thing to do. We become a stumbling block when that activity we have causes uh, a fellow believer to fall into sin for him or her. And we don't always know what that is. So we need to be careful with our behavior. Now, I do not play online poker. In fact, I am a, I'm a horrible gambler in general. I can't play cards. I don't even know the first thing really about gambling. I've been to Vegas a couple times with my wife, and we walk around down there, and it's kind of neat the first few times you go there because all these casinos are a little bit different. But after the fourth or fifth casino, it's kind of mundane, and it's kind of boring and all. And then we actually, the first time we had an experience with gambling, uh, we went to Palm Springs. And we walk into the casino, and we're walking around, and it's got this horrible smell. And uh, as we're walking around, Christine and I decide we're going to try our hand at gambling. So we each take 20 bucks, and she goes to find a slot machine, because we figured that's the easiest thing. You pull a lever. How hard can that be? So she goes to find a machine she likes, and I decide I'm going to kind of watch the casino and find someone that knows what they're doing and ask them some questions. So she leaves, and I'm walking around, and I I see this, this lady sitting there, and she looks like a gambling pro. She's got the casino jacket on. She's got a cup full of coins. There's smoke rolling out of the ashtray. And I'm like, this is the one I'm going to sit next to. So I sit next to her at the slot machine. There's a chair there. And I'm watching her. And I don't know how many people here know how to play like the slots. And, and you can say it. It's okay. Nobody's looking. All right. I, I always I remember like the old days. You pull the lever and you get like three of a kind. You win money. Well, now I'm watching this lady's screen. And there's like red lines just like all over the screen. So I sit down next to her, and I'm watching her, and I said, ma'am, can you help me out with this, this uh, slot machine here? And she, she's sitting next to me, and she turns to me, and she's got smoke coming out right in her finger. She's like, well, let me tell you how to play this game. And I'm just like, whoa. So anyway, she explains to me what all these red line means and everything, and so I put my whole $20 in the machine. I press the button like, I don't know, six times. I'm out of money. I'm five minutes at the slot machine. I am completely broke, and I'm like, well, I better go find Christine to see how she's doing. So I get up and walk to find her, and she's coming through the door of the other room. She's out of money. So we come up to each other, and we're like, I got no sandwich. Nobody had a show for me. I spent five minutes and blew 20 bucks. We kind of looked at each other, and we said, you know what? I don't think this gambling thing's for us. So that was the end of my gambling adventure. 
So anyways, back to my, uh, my made-up for the sake of this sermon that I play online poker. I do not create a stumbling block for someone when I play online poker if the person that sees me playing online poker is not tempted to play online poker. It's a pretty simple philosophy. And Paul illustrates uh, in, in verse 10, For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, you have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to the idols? Yes. So the next question. Do I have the biblical freedom to stock my refrigerator full of Bud Light? And the answer to that is, yes, I do. But what would happen if a young, immature Christian came to my house, asked if they could have something to drink? I said, sure, go to the refrigerator. They open up the fridge, and it's just packed with beer. That person may think, you know what? If Mark has the freedom and liberty to drink beer, then I do too. And that's not the problem. The problem comes into play is, what if that person comes from a family of alcoholics and has determined that he or she doesn't have the freedom to drink? My example at that point could have a disastrous effect on that person. By partaking in an activity that I may have freedom to enjoy, I can potentially ruin my brother if it's a stumbling block for him. We need to remember that there's something more important than our freedom to do as we please. And that something is the spiritual development of other people. In 8.13, Paul writes this, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. And in this passage, Paul is not suggesting that we become vegetarians. Thank God for that. Imagine life without bacon. Ain't gonna happen. What Paul is telling us to do is to look at their need and not our freedom. Our first concern, concern Our first concern should not be to push our freedom to the limit, but to care about the welfare of our Christian brothers and sisters. So do we really have the freedom when we have to constantly watch what we say and what we do and how we act? Yes, our freedom in Christ is real. There's no question about that. But like many possessions in life, its greatest gift is when it's given away. That's pretty profound, and it sounds really cool, and I'd love to take credit for it, but I didn't write that. I borrowed it for the sermon. But here's what I mean. What the most imp- what's the most important use of your income? Is it paying off bills? Is it investing that money? Is it putting that cash in the bank? Or is it giving some of that money to the Lord? And in the same way, what's the best use a man can make of his freedom in Christ? How about giving up a portion of it for the sake of Christ? One train of thought is, if I have to give something up once I obtain it, Why should I have it at all? And that's pretty messed up thinking. Is a person who earns $25,000 and keeps it all to himself as well off as a person who earns 40 grand and gives 15 of it away? They both end up with $25,000. But I would argue that the second person is infinitely more wealthy than the first person. You can't give something away unless you have it, and you can't receive the blessing of giving unless you give up something that was yours. And I've spoken before many times, especially in SMT, about how when you become stronger in your faith, your life doesn't get easier. The closer you get to God, the harder Satan's working on you. The target gets bigger and bigger on your back. And then on the backside of it, God expects more out of you the closer that you get to him. And it's kind of a kick in the pants. But the Bible places the burden on the strong. That's the cross we have to bear. We don't sin when we exercise our liberty but we do sin when exercising that liberty comes at the expense of a fellow believer. 
And if there's any chance somebody might be spiritually hurt by our actions, a strong Christian should give up that freedom to participate in that activity. When Paul tells us that we may have to give up one of our freedoms, or most of our freedoms at some points, maybe it sounds like Paul's telling us that we have to live a boring and mundane and, and unjoyful life. And it is true that we may never get to experience all the liberties and all the freedoms that God gives us. But we have to realize that people could be, could be hurt when we do those things. Paul's teaching uh, requires that we think more about those who may see our actions and be hurt by them than our enjoyment of those actions. So now you've got to think to yourself, if I've got to watch everything I do, everywhere I go, how can that possibly happen? And it can't. It's impossible for us to do that all the time. But Paul's not telling us that, and God's not telling us that. I wouldn't be able to leave my house if that were the case, because too many people are watching. But there are weak Christians everywhere who would view some of my actions and my ideas as sinful. But I doubt that they're all here at Polaris, and I really doubt that they're all in my close circle of friends. My responsibility is to love those who are close to me and who disagree with me. And I must respect the conscience of the other Christians that I'm around. Now, there are some Christians that love to point out all the faults and all the problems with other Christians. And they're at every church, except here at Polaris, of course. (laughs) Now, there are some Christians uh, who love to discover all that stuff. But Paul is not telling us that we need to pacify these Christians because if we try to pacify them, we're not going to be stumbling blocks and we're not going to help them out in any way. All we're going to do is fire them up to find more and more fault. If we lived our lives to, to, to get the appreciation and respect of these people, we'd make ourselves crazy. We must learn to recognize the difference between finger pointers and the weak brother. And this isn't always an easy thing to do. And we need to pray to God that he gives us the ability to discern between the two. God does not ask us to give up all of our liberties. But if a weak brother is sincerely trying to grow, then he deserves every sacrifice that we may have to make in order to make that happen. We need to do our best not to be that stumbling block for our Christian brothers and sisters. We need to be strong Christians who are concerned more about the welfare of our friends and our neighbors than about our own freedoms and our own liberties. So if we go back to the question from Genesis 4, which asks us again, am I my brother's keeper? The simple answer is, yes, we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as we all sit here this morning, we, uh, first of all, just absolutely revel in the fact that you've given us the opportunity for this new home, Father, and to continue our Isaiah 58 mission, uh, that we can be an outreach to the community, Father. Uh, We thank you for the upcoming holiday of Easter, Lord, uh, where we can celebrate uh, Christ's victory over death. And uh, Father, as we sit here this morning, I pray that the the message that was delivered strikes home, Lord, that we know that we're examples uh, uh, for you and uh, to our other fellow uh, Christian brothers and sisters, and that we may have to sacrifice uh, some of that freedom and liberty, Father, to allow those Christians to grow in their faith. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is strong and working in us, uh, that we can discern between the two, Lord, and that we can be our brother's keeper and do the right thing more times than not, Father. All these things we pray in your most precious name. Amen.